Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is October 31st, 2021. We just want to tell you and share with you that we had such an amazingly blessed time in Tennessee. Yes. We were able to watch God work on behalf of all of the churches, all of the pastors and elders of each of the churches of the One Association. Today, I just want to make a special note that we are particularly blessed to have Pastor Nick and Pastor Eric back in the house. Amen. Soon we're going to have the whole team back together as the Browns are heading back in this direction. We're going to get the whole band back together, y'all. It's going to be great. Man, it is so good for us to be home. We want to let you know that we are experiencing the unparalleled shepherding of our souls as we unite with our brothers from the other One Association churches. During the conference, transparency was the order of the day. Yep. The order of every interaction and meeting that we had together. The men tasked with shepherding the churches stripped themselves of all pride, stripped themselves of all arrogance and faithlessness. And this resulted in a greater unity among us than ever before. And this also includes affecting your pastors and elders. Us. To that unity, God has added exponentially. As was spoken about during the worship service, we had ordained members of the one association added to the leadership team. It has become abundantly clear that God is blessing sacrificial unity and direction between the churches. All of this is in an effort to build one another up as the collective body of Christ. Like Ephesians 4 says, it was evident at the conference that seeing this kind of unity was producing good fruit. And in returning, seeing unity demonstrated here at LCM is producing good fruit. Our good shepherd is leading us to better and better things. Amen. Now, yesterday, as we were praying through the tabernacle together, spending the time to strip our own hearts and ask the sovereign Lord to show us what he wanted, our good shepherd led us to Revelation 7, verse 17. Amen. Come on, turn with us to Revelation 7, 17. It says this. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Now, are you picturing this with us? You've got the lamb of God, the great shepherd, and he is there. And where is he? He is at the center of the throne. And what he does is he will shepherd his people. And that you must understand is him shepherding our souls collectively as a singular flock. And what he's doing in our midst is he is working unity into our hearts. He's working transparency into us as never before. Has everyone been a part of this? Yes. Have you been feeling that the Lord has been doing this? Yes. Do you realize how difficult it is as you are trying to do this? Yes. And how much we need our shepherd to help us and shepherd us in this process. See, when our great shepherd has arranged us around the throne, we're going to drink from the springs of living water in entirely new ways. And the culmination of his work in us collectively, somebody say us, in us. us collectively will be that every tear will be wiped away. As we begin the body of our sermon, we want to start with you in a newer Testament epistle that you might find familiar, but also highly unusual. 
So turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 9. 2 Peter 3, 9 in the ESV says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. To give some clarity to this passage, I want you to know that this is a shepherd speaking about his sheep. Come on. And these words of comfort and encouragement are spoken to the body of believers, those that belong to the flock of God. Interact with what Pastor Matthew just said for a moment. Peter, he was a man who was a shepherd, but he also knew what it was like to be a sheep. Perhaps even a sheep that had received more correction than most. Yes. And he's describing God's patience for his flock. Can I get an amen from anyone in the flock? I am thankful for what Peter says here. Verse 10 goes on to say, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, i.e. melted, dissipated, removed, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now, this is certainly an exciting and climactic passage. Even among the most scholarly students that we know, it's little, it's little understood. Is that imagery striking to you? Yes. Heavenly bodies burned, yeah. dissolved, passing away. Any of that in your Sunday school class? Somebody want to jump up and you immediately know exactly what's going to happen? Yeah, in our pathway to powerful shepherding, this morning from our great savior, we'd like to examine the historical backdrop that Peter is working from and see what we can gain as we do so. Let's all turn together to Psalm chapter 68. Psalm 68, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. You're going to see part of the work that Peter was thinking about. He was contemplating that was down in his very spirit as he was writing the passages that we just read. In Psalm 68 in verse 1, say there when you're there. There. May God arise. May his enemies be scattered. May his foes flee before him. May you blow them away like smoke as wax melts before the fire. May the wicked perish before God. But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Amen. Come on now, what an interesting and a beautiful passage here. The psalmist is clearly describing the day of the Lord as one that is filled with heat, with smoke, with the very fires of heaven. See, God's adversaries and everything that is before him are melting away like wax before the fire. Now get that image here. The the judgment that is coming is adding fire and it deals with things as wax would melt before that fire. Mm. Peter clearly seems to have this passage and other historical texts in mind as he is writing his epistles. He's promulgating the concept that the Lord's return will refine the righteous while simultaneously remove the wicked from the earth. One of these historical texts that Peter clearly had in mind, we have a slide for you. You can put up the slide. This is First Enoch, chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. Amen. Concerning the chosen I spoke. And I uttered a parable concerning them. The holy and great one will come out from his dwelling. 
And the eternal God will tread from there upon Mount Sinai. And he will appear with his host and will appear in the strength of his power from heaven. And all will be afraid and the watchers will shake. And fear and great trembling will seize them unto the ends of the earth. And the high mountains will be shaken and the high hills will be made low. And will melt like wax before the flame. And the earth will sink. And everything that is on the earth will be destroyed. And there will be judgment upon all and upon all the righteous. I want you to notice the similarities between the writings of Peter, Psalm 68, and this passage from the book of Enoch. What is being described in each of these three writings is that the coming of the great one will be a day of great fire that melts away the wicked and purifies, refines, and presents his people as spotless amen and ultimately it is described as a fire that melts everything before it is it all right if we teach you a little today we love to preach energetic sermons i don't even mind jumping up and down getting off the stage and coming to talk to you but today we thought we might garner the ability to see the perspective of what god is showing us there's a little bit of a process that we want to go to we're treating you as the mature, spirit-filled Christians and families that you are. That you can handle these kind of questions and come and see the truth that God is speaking to us. Now, on that note, Peter's first epistle has very similar language that you can hear. And it specifically applies these concepts to the faith of the saints as we endure fiery trials. We're going to pick up in 1 Peter 1, verse 6 through 7 together. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Holistically, in Peter's epistles, he is describing the judgment of floodwaters that came on the earth and the coming fire that will accompany Messiah's return. Additionally, on a personal, daily kind of level, Peter highlights the fiery trials that God has ordained for the purification of our faith. Somebody say, our faith. Our faith. See, in Peter... Psalm 68, and in the book of Enoch, there's an attitude that's expressed about the way that we should live, knowing that there's a cleansing fire that will come upon the earth. It's going to melt and burn up most of what has been built, and we mean in its entirety. So as seen in the passage, what does this result in? It results in praise. It results in glory. It results in honor when Jesus is revealed in his collective body and in the creation as a whole. There are extraordinary overtones of thankfulness at the onset of these very climactic events. We want to take a look at a first century historian's commentary on the Jewish expectation of two judgments. One by fire and one by water. So you can see Josephus' Antiquities of the Jews. And that their inventions might not be lost before they were sufficiently known upon Adam's prediction that the world was to be destroyed at one time by the force of fire. 
and at another time by the violence and quantity of water. Wow. They made two pillars, the one of brick, the other of stone. They inscribed their discoveries on them both. Now, it's not our subject matter tonight, but there was an expectation or a commentary about this that they weren't sure which was coming first. <laughs> Clearly, we know at this point that the judgment by water came first. While this is not scripture, the passage clearly presents that it was common understanding. Somebody say common, common. Understanding. understanding in Jesus day that everything that had been built would be judged twice. See, once again, in the overall narrative of Peter's epistles, he outlines the judgment brought about by the flood, which had already occurred and it forecasts the impending judgment that was coming Upon all the earth by fire. D did you guys catch Adam's prediction? Yeah. Did you catch that this was thought of in Jesus' day that even Adam, he was the one. Now, not Adam Korah. That would be a good prediction for sure. Yeah. We're talking about from the origin of mankind on the earth that this was always the plan. And we see it here even reflected in Josephus uh, in his Antiquities of the Jews. Well, just consider for a minute, Adam. The very man who possessed all the promises of God, yet had received all of the fullness of the fallen state. He is now charged with building, carrying out God's work on earth, knowing that most of it would be destroyed. Like, build the entire human race and have only eight survivors of your descendants. <laughs> That's pretty serious. This writing and this understanding made us think of Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians 3. Turn there quickly with this 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10. Say water then fire as you're turning. In verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 3, it says this. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, somebody say the day, the day, the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. See, once again, church, we have a familiar passage. You've read it many, many times. You've thought about it. But this is still highly unusual. And it's really often misunderstood even in the Christian community. Paul is not simply describing how much stuff you get to keep in eternity if you're a good little Christian now. Rather, he was drawing a very specific analogy. That captures the imagery of a very literal coming of the Lord as each man relates to it. Guys, contemplate that. This passage was not drawn out of thin air. He is drawing an analogy, but it is about the very literal fire that is coming on the earth. Yeah. And he's saying, consider then how you build. Yeah. See, I, in the past, have not read that with the expectation that he is describing what the coming of the Lord will look like. For us, hey, in the minds of the Newer Testament authors, the concept of two judgments was not an esoteric concept or one that was difficult to understand, but was common knowledge. 
that during the time of Adam, it had already been prophesied that two judgments would come, one by water, one by fire. And they could count and see that the first one had already passed and had handed down the expectation that another judgment was coming and it was a fiery one. Okay, let's continue to walk this out to make sure that we're grasping this. Consider the history of the nation of Israel. They have been moved by God to create the temple and construct the temple itself, which was absolutely a wonder of the whole world. And that same temple was judged by Babylonian fire at God's direction. See, those judgments that are ever present should make us consider how we are building everything that we put our hand to. During our study time, there was something that also was illuminated to us in a progression. Paul himself and every other apostle were the descendants of the exiles who had returned from that judgment and had rebuilt Jerusalem, the very temple itself, and the wall surrounding the city. And it seems that they knew that judgment was yet coming once again. Consider then how you should build. We want to go to Nehemiah 2, 17 through 18 with you this morning. I'll let you turn there. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. As the point that we just made about every one of these apostles, New Testament writers being descendant from these men. Again, this is the historical backdrop for the New Testament. What we just read in Nehemiah is the beginning of rebuilding the city of God. Carefully, in light of the fire that had previously judged and consumed its gates. In Matthew chapter 1, there are four references to the exile in Babylon that show up in only three verses. Those verses are 11, 12, and 17. Think about this for a moment. At the introduction of Christ, the opening of the gospel, we are still referencing the time of the exile because those are their fathers. They are descendant from the men that rebuilt after a fiery judgment, knowing that there is still one yet to come. This event is the backdrop to the entirety of the New Testament and connects the language that they use about the coming age. So let's consider what this means for us today. Consider the ruins that we have inherited as a people group. The state of our current day displays the overwhelming nature of the single pastor model. A single person who is supposed to be a sage on a stage. That is the model. You don't see what you see here Anywhere almost outside of the one association of churches. It's just a singular pastor pastor model with only lackeys who are serving this one quote unquote great man. Burned gates. That's a burned gate. Exactly. Another facet of this is churches that are built on hierarchy rather than familial ties. Rather than the relationships that shepherds 
have with their sheep. There's a loving, tender care, an investment for both to be in unity and operating as one. In our day, there is a real hatred of shepherds, a hatred of godly authority, a hatred of the family unit and structure. And definitely that family structure is hated on a corporate level. In addition to that, there are also shepherds, authorities, that are abusing their flock, fleecing and shearing them just for personal gain all around. Can you see the ruins that we're trying to describe to you? These burnt gates that we're talking about? See, some of these ruins manifest as sinful, secular solutions within the very churches that should be a refuge for the sheep. Should be a place where people can come as sheep and find solace and find green pastures and still waters. And these are the very places that are displaying the ruins. See, these modern-day marketing campaigns only act to maul the sheep. They are gates that have been burned with fire, and they possess no ability or power to actually be able to, to protect the flock. It's true. The reality is that we are experiencing the results of gates that have been burned by fire, and yet there is still an overwhelming judgment by fire that is coming to test the work of our churches. So what do we need to do? We need to be solidified. We need to be secured. We need to be set in place like cities of refuge designed by God to preserve life. And even going further, building ever expanding roads that are wide enough to preserve the righteous that are then refined. We need now more than ever to have the gracious hand of our God favoring our teams as we rebuild what has been burned and will be burned again. In light of this, shouldn't we heed Paul's warning to consider how we build? Building with gold, with silver, with precious stones that will stand through the test of fire? In the coming months, as a collective church body, we will be considering how we can build on every level. In light of recent revelations that the Lord has given us in regard to precious metals, stones, gold, silver, things that will stand the test of fire. Things like unity and priesthood, remembrance and holy warfare. Has God given us some precious stones over the last year? We will be endeavoring to learn to build with them. To cause a house to rise that is made of that which is precious. Not a sermon series that we forget, but a collective body that is being pieced together with noble works and can stand the testing that is coming on the world. Come on now. Moving from just sitting back and receiving a sermon to letting it be part of how you build in every area of our lives. That is what God is doing. See, we're going to be gleaning and garnering insight from the lives of the men who have gone before us. They knew what it was to build with the knowledge of the judgment of fire that was still to come on the earth. I mean, you have to consider this. We reference Nehemiah. We can reference men like Ezra in his day and many mighty godly men and teams that were there together. They were rebuilding the temple that had been destroyed by fire with the understanding that it would be destroyed yet again. But working faithfully in their day to do exactly what God was leading them to do. That is a faithfulness that God is building here in our midst. See, men like Nehemiah and Ezra and the team that they were with came from the judgment. They were being fired on in their day. 
Yeah. While they were building. While yeah. they were building, they faced opposition at every turn. And they also had the expectation of needing to build a structure that would stand the test. <laughs> Come on, somebody say stand the test. Stand, stand the, the test. test. So let's focus on generations that were the result of what teams like Ezra and Nehemiah built. Come on. Take into consideration John the Baptist. He was a result of what that team built and his fiery teaching that was intolerant towards passivity to sin. More than that, Jesus the Messiah was the result of what that team, Ezra and Nehemiah and the men around them, built. He preached a message of right relationship between God and man, as well as an accurate view of the Father, who is the shepherd of all Israel. Come on, brothers. It didn't stop there. It continues with the leaders of uh, chronicled in the book of Acts who consistently worked in teams. Man, isn't that great to see how the founding of the church was men who were built in teams and together they realized that it was time to rebuild David's fallen tabernacle. Come on. Man. All of these things were the result of the team in Ezra and Nehemiah's day, stripping themselves bare before the word of God and rebuilding according to the pattern as one man. All right. We're going to take a moment just to think through this for a second. Did you see some astounding transparency in the lies of Ezra and Nehemiah? Like having to separate from foreign women and go through every man in the camp? Yeah. Maybe some remembrances about the days of old, God's deliverance, his rebellion. We even saw priests and Levites and real priests of God raising up. Almost as if everything that God has been speaking to us over the last year has been what righteous men have always needed to build a city Amen. that can stand the test. They produced righteous prophets and they yeah. prepared the way for the Messiah to come. Amen. Now, we are on the precipice of producing a collective people between cities of refuge that look nothing like the charred remains of what we came from, Amen. but in every way reflect the community of the first century apostolic work that is still ongoing today. We are building with gold, silver, Amen. precious stones, things that will not pass away in the coming fire of judgment that will hit the whole world. We're going to go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy 33 with you. As you get there, we're going to take verses 1 and 2 together and connect a few dots. Like we said earlier, we want to take the time to teach. We want to take the time to interact with our family. We're even going to prophesy life into you today. Verse 1. This is the blessing with which Moses the man of God blessed the people of Israel before his death. He said, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. All right. Does that sound familiar to anybody in the room? Yes. Are you catching some of the pieces here? Yes. Don't get sidetracked by the verb tensing in this passage. This is describing the exact same event as Enoch, as Psalm 68, as Peter in his epistles. But there's a difference. It's specifically about what God is doing in his tribes as these events unfold. Yeah. Guys, you understand this. When there's judgment coming on the world, a goel that has shown up, your relationship to the same event might be described a little differently. 
It likely depends on how you relate to the goel. Deuteronomy 33 is from Israel's perspective about the fiery one coming from heaven. Did you catch that final phrase, verse 2? Flaming fire at his right hand. We're not preaching on the right hand today, although we could. But the right hand of God is something that um, carries a kind of weight in Scripture that is different. An easy way to explain that is that his finger drove the gods of Egypt into the ground. So when he makes a fist, it's an extraordinary thing. (laughs) Then we get to the place now where he's got a flaming right hand. We're going to move on to verse 3. And aren't you glad when you're in a time of prayer, say, praying through the tabernacle? Yesterday, that's what we were doing collectively. Man, what a special time. And the Lord began to reveal different things about scriptures that we, were, we thought we were already very familiar with. Deuteronomy 33, 3 is one of those verses. Surely it is you who love the people. So right after speaking of the fire that is at God's right hand, surely it is you who love the people. All the holy ones are in your hand. At your feet they all bow down and from you receive instruction. The law that Moses gave, the possession of the assembly of Jacob. Now we just want to try to help you connect with it in the way that we did yesterday. This imagery is the imagery that's displayed in Revelation 7 when you're speaking of the lamb who is at the center of the throne, who is shepherding his people. Listen to how this is. The same Savior that is seen coming from Sinai and Seir is the same shepherd who loves the people of Israel. Go back to verse 3 for me and put that on the screen. It is he, this shepherd who surely loves the people of Israel. All the holy ones are in his hand like a shepherd that is carrying his sheep. And he settles them at his feet like sheep that are there grazing on the green pastures and the still waters. So that they can learn instruction from his mouth as the assembly, as the flock, as the the sheep of Jacob himself. Look how this continues in verse 5. He was king over Jeshurun. When the leaders of his people assembled, along with the tribes of Israel. So he was king, this shepherd at the center of the throne. He was king over them and refers to them with an affectionate pet name. That name is Jeshurun. This great shepherd is referring to his sheep with all the care and affection of one who knows them by name. That's the mark of a great shepherd. Notice he first assembles the leaders and then extends to all tribes. Saints, this is exactly what our good shepherd has done with us. We weren't on vacation two weeks ago. Our good shepherd knows how to lead all of our tribes. He assembled the leaders of the tribes and then he assembles all of the remaining body of those tribes So that we, somebody say we, we, We. so that we might learn and be instructed by his insight, by his vision for our collective call, that we might know what our good shepherd has ordained for us. Church, this passage goes on to describe blessings that are unequivocally about the nation of Israel. Yes. And it will be brought to fulfillment because it is his good desire to do so. Now, as your earthly shepherds, we're going to take a few minutes. Yeah. We're just going to take liberty because we can. Yeah. 
This is a family meeting. We're going to take a few minutes of liberty to apply the words given to the tribes of Israel in Deuteronomy 33 to the tribes of the one association of churches and to the families, to the clans that are right here in this room. And we're going to do that by starting in Deuteronomy 33 and verse 7. And this he said about Judah. Hear, Lord, the cry of Judah. Bring him to his people. With his hands he defends his cause. Oh, be his help against his foes. When we read this passage, we couldn't help but think of King's Harvest Church. They are a church that is, has the gracious hand of God upon them. And their God is defending their cause. Their God is helping them to defeat every foe that is in opposition to them. And rebuilding everything that was once destroyed. Look, historically, Judah was able to conquer foes that were too powerful for them alone. Because they called upon the fidelity and the faithfulness of their brothers. Much like Simeon in Judges chapter 1. But also... Just like our brothers in King's Harvest Church. Come on, amen. We're going to skim, skip down to verse 9 and 10 in the same chapter now. He said of his father and mother, I have no regard for them. He did not recognize his brothers or acknowledge his own children. But he watched over your word and guarded your covenant. He teaches your precepts to Jacob and your law to Israel. He offers incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. Guys, Submission Ministries is a church made up of men and women who have consistently demonstrated a higher regard for the Word of God than for all familial attachments. Devoting themselves to teaching the precepts to God's people and offering a pleasing sacrifice. Guys, how could we not associate this church with the tribe of Levi? They are men who turn men from sin just like priests were ordained to do. Yeah. Let's take a look at verse 12. About Benjamin, he said, Let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long, and the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. Like the tribe of Benjamin, we were thinking about the remnant church. It's defined, they are defined as a people, a tribe who rests securely between the Lord's shoulders. Amen. They've been shielded by God day in and day out throughout the greatest of difficulties. They can now rest secure knowing that they are loved by their God and positioned between their brothers in a tribal allotment that God has purposed and designed. Amen. Verse 13, about Joseph, he said, May the Lord bless his land with the precious dew from heaven above and with the deep waters that lie below, with the best the sun brings forth and the finest the moon can yield, with the choicest gifts of the ancient mountains and the fruitfulness of the everlasting hills, with the best gifts of the earth and its fullness and the favor of him who dwelt in the burning bush. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers." And we can see that the arising church is bearing fruit and blessed by God Amen. in so many ways. Their faithfulness to pour out that blessing on others is producing a right harvest of disciples who will build in light of the coming fire. Amen. Man, we have Ehad to Peru in the room with us today. Yeah. yeah. We have also had the great joy of having One Light Ministries with us for the past month. Together, we've had times of fellowship, prayer, 
and have all received heavenly affirmation on the tribal arrangements, the connections that we are supposed to have, that God is building in the one association. What we've just covered with you in Judah, Benjamin, Levi, and Joseph are the other tribes that have been assembled and blessed by God. We just did it in Tennessee together. But we wanted you to hear some of what God is cultivating in us for our brother churches. Now, we, as the leaders of our tribes, are turning our thoughts towards you, the sheep of his pasture, the clans of LCM. Amen. Let's look at verse 17 of Deuteronomy 33. In majesty, he is like a firstborn bull. His horns are the horns of a wild ox. With them, he will gore the nations, even those at the ends of the earth. Such are the ten thousands of Ephraim. Such are the thousands of Manasseh. Man, as we were reading through these passages, your faces, your names, and your families began to burst forth in our own hearts and understanding. I mean, families like the Ruedas, the Zakaris, the Sosas. Man, how is that not a group that is just like a firstborn bull, full of strength? See, they have callings to the nations and a rising strength as they faithfully and fully apply themselves to the way of life and the teachings of LCM. Mm. These families, come on, where are you at, Marlon? Okay, I just just had to see. I I, I found the other guys. I just wanted to make sure. See, these families are an indispensable part of this body. Amen. We cannot succeed without them, and they cannot succeed without us. They are indispensable, and they are essential to the collective call of LCM. Amen. See, we're going to do away with the ideas of individual callings only because God is putting us together in a body so that the body's call, so that what God is doing here will be fulfilled and seen in each and every family. Amen. Hey, let's continue on in Deuteronomy 33 and verse 18. About Zebulun, he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out and you as a car in your tents. They will summon peoples to the mountain and there offer the sacrifices of the righteous. They will feast on the abundance of the seas, on the treasures hidden in the sand. Oh, man, we are talking about the Phillips, the Peñas, the Clements and the Halls. These clans who so diligently work to prepare an atmosphere. One that is inviting God's presence and God's people to it so that right sacrifices can be made. And all this is ministry that's flowing out of their home. Amen. In addition to that, in these homes, there is feasting. There is an abundance of treasures that come from the God Almighty. These families who have opened up their homes... And letting the shalom of God flow that nourishes our body. They are an indispensable part of who we are. And essential to the collective call of LCM. Amen. Essential. We're going to slide down to verse 20 and 21 now. About God, he said, blessed is he who enlarges God's domain. God lives there like a lion, tearing at arm or head. He chose the best land for himself. The leader's portion was kept for him. When the heads of the people assembled, he carried out the Lord's righteous will and his judgments concerning Israel. Man, there is no way to read this and not think of the Lintons, the Daramolas, and the Treasters. Amen. 
who through sacrificial servanthood have chosen the best land for themselves. The leaders portion. Because of their sacrificial servanthood, they are growing every day as a team. Yes. These clans, these families are carrying out the Lord's righteous will and judgments concerning our collective flock. They are an indispensable part of this body and an essential element to the collective call of LCM. Amen. Wasn't that so easy to see when you had so many leaders that were gone from this church, how essential the Daramolas, the Lentons, the Treasters were? Their involvement in your life? I mean, how many of you received about 47 texts from Abimbola alone? You know? I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> These families are indispensable. Look at verse 22. It says this about Dan, he said. Dan is a lion's cub yeah. springing out of Bashan. When I saw this verse, I could not help but think about Assad and Kayla Robinson, yeah. the very lion king himself, as well as Ray, the lion-hearted Ludwigson that was also came to mind. These are clans that have sprung up out of worldly strongholds and have risen like a young lion, growing in strength, and they're growing in boldness every day. Come on. Yes. Man, we even got Ray stopping by our house now. Yeah. Just coming by unannounced. I love that. I love the boldness and the fire that's growing in these families. Man, we can hear their roar growing every single Hallelujah. day. And we want to say it publicly that these families are an indispensable part of this body. They are essential to the collective call of LCM. Oh, and this keeps going, saints. Verse 23. About Naphtali, he said, Naphtali is abounding with favor of the Lord and is full of his blessing. He will inherit southward to the lake. What co who comes to mind are the Hewitts and the Molochs. They, these clans are abounding with favor of the Lord upon them. The Lord has blessed these families so abundantly, it would be impossible to miss God's kindness being demonstrated in their life. In addition to that, these clans are perfectly situated in their inheritance. Situated by the lake and have found contentment and ever springing life from it. Got waterfront property. Yes. They're the fancy ones. <laughs> The Hewitts and the Molochs are an indispensable part of this body. Can I get an amen? Amen. Regardless of what you are called to, they are essential to the collective call of LCM. Amen. Now we're going to hit verse 24 and 25 together. About Asher, he said, most blessed of sons is Asher. Let him be favored by his brothers and let him bathe his feet in oil. The bolts of your gates will be iron and bronze, and your strength will equal your days. Saints, we can see the Forge, the Rosales clan, and the Chorus. Yeah. And these guys are favored by their brothers in this house because of their love for the brotherhood. As a result, their walk is bathed in the anointing oil of God. Because of their devotion to the brotherhood, their gates are iron and bronze, and their strength is equal to any day that they face. Amen. These guys are an indispensable part of the body. Amen. They are essential to the collective call that we have here at LCM. Amen. Now, the reality of the prophetic life-given speech that was given both to the tribes of Israel is that much of it had not been realized in their day. 
refinement was needed. Wax had to be removed prior to the final fire that was to come. See, the clans that we selected out of this room are examples. Everybody say, it's an example. It's an an example. example. See, we're proud of the life-giving speech that was given, and we know it to be completely true about each of the families that we highlighted. Yes. But the reality, everybody say reality. Reality. Is that every clan in this room, that every man, every woman, must reckon with the reality that we have not yet reached the fullness of the prophetic insight, even as it's been given. Refinement is needed. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Amen. The wax must be removed prior to the heat and the fire that will be applied. Uh, Ezekiel describes a similar scenario. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 34. We'll start in verse 17. As for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will judge between one sheep and another, and between rams and goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled, and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Saints, our great shepherd is giving us insight into the way that we are to be placed, secured, and assembled in relation to his throne. The revelation that we build and what we build will be tested by fire is settling on all of us. It seems necessary to point out areas of wax that are covering over cracks in our foundation. Wax that's concealing the need for refinement. The muddying of communal drinking water and trampling of the pasture that nourishes us. This is an effort to consider how we must build now so that we might stand the test together. Do you want to stand the test? In this room, there are offenses towards others that you feel like were more favored by God when you were not. This is wax. Things that we must remove ourselves Before the coming heat. This is despite the fact that every one of the clans in this room. Somebody say everyone. Everyone. Every one of the clans in this room have received blessings. There is a muddying of the spring that we all drink from when there is ingratitude in the camp. But when we stir up thankfulness, it clarifies those waters for us. Amen. See, what we know as pastors is that in this room, there's speech. It's full of daggers towards others because you're insecure. One of the things that the Lord showed us while we were at the conference was the chains of insecurity are mislabeled. Really what a chain of insecurity. The picture that was given was shackles on each hand with a chain in between. And in the writing of the person holding and that was chained was the word insecurity because it felt nicer to keep it there before them. But the definition of insecurity was that it was pride and faithlessness that were actually there. Man, doesn't it sound nicer when you say, no, I'm just insecure about that? Isn't that easier for you to hold on to? What we're saying is that our speech is reflecting not just an insecurity, but the pride and faithlessness that are causing it to come about. See, this pride and faithlessness is seen in how we speak about our own place in the tribal alignment. 
Church, this is us trampling the very pasture that we're supposed to be receiving food from. Many of you have realized in recent weeks that your relationships have been superficial for years, covered in wax. And now you have endeavor to close the gap between clans. Amen. But in the process, you've encountered some difficulty. You've wrestled with despair. And in faithlessness have begun to trample your own pastor as well as the pastor that is your brother's. Instead of having faithful consistency. I'm letting a little awkward pause sit on that one. I know how many of you have realized that you've had superficial relationships with believers in this room. So you asked if you could go to lunch and it didn't work out that week. And that felt stinging to you. We're going to stir up the faithful consistency because we have one shepherd who's leading this whole flock. Amen. We are heading the same direction Amen. and we will build something that will stand the test of fire. It is not our endeavor today to enumerate every way that we must grow. If we were recounting our list alone, it would take all day. Rather, we are highlighting some of the wax, muddied springs, and trampled pastures. And we are going to turn and focus on the solution our shepherd is sharing with us yeah. in verse 23 and 24. Come on, take a look at, uh, we're in Ezekiel 34 and verse 23. It says, I will place over them one shepherd. Say one shepherd. One shepherd. My servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, Amen. have spoken. It is this shepherd who will secure us, solidify us, set us in place alongside our fellow builders. See, we will surround the lamb, that shepherd who is at the center of the throne, so that we might build according to the pattern, and that we might do that together. Say together. 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 Look, when we do this correctly, with the expectation that our work will be tested by fire, we, like the men before us, like Ezra and Nehemiah, can and will build in the wake of previous destruction. Cities that will stand long enough to see the return of our Messiah. Oh, come on. Look, I want to talk to you about Deuteronomy 4 quickly, but I'm picking up in the sixth verse. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. Verse 7 goes on to say, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them? Guys, in light of what we're describing here, this is language that is like sheep and a shepherd. What other nation has a shepherd that is so close to the flock, leading them so carefully? Guys, when we begin to build in this manner, when we begin to recognize that the wax, these things are all demonic traps working to steer you off course from the voice of the shepherd that is saying, follow me, follow me. We can cast those things aside and listen attentively to his commands. And it speaks a message to the nations around us. Let's pick it up in verse 8. And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? Listen to verse 9. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen. Or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. 
Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Man, it says only be careful. This is telling the people here, even in Deuteronomy 4, to consider how you are building, to pay careful attention in light of the fire that is coming so that you don't forget. Man, when he's speaking to us about not forgetting, it should recall to you what the Lord has been speaking to this group about our remembrances. Amen. Man, that you might not let these things be forgotten. You might not let them fade from your heart. Isn't that a perfect expression of what happens to us? Yes. It is so easy for us to let things fade from us. Even powerful moments that God has spoken into us. We have to continually remember them. We have to continually consider how we're building so that we are able to hand this down to our children and to their children after them. So that we are continuing this and building something that will last. In light of this, the question to be asked is, what sort of people ought you to be? Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to pick up in verse 11. Say there when you're there. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. In light of what we know now, we don't have time. We don't have time to obfuscate the obvious orthodoxy of the oncoming, all-consuming judgment that awaits every builder. We are people who build carefully with holiness and with godliness. Mon, there is a reason that we are highlighting God's prophetic voice in this church. We no longer have time for pursuing our own petty, purposeless passions. We are a people who know a purifying fire is coming. We know the case. And we so build with sacrificial servanthood in light of that coming fire. Come on, LCM. We don't have time for quietly quarantining ourselves from God's campground away from the collective call. We are a people who can perceive our shepherd's supreme purpose for us all. Amen. We don't have time for refusing to rise up following righteous rebukes. We are people who embrace the refining fire and removal of wax from our lives, our relationships, and dwell in proximity to his throne. We don't have time for screening, safeguarding, wordsmithing, our own shortcomings. We are a people who welcome. Someone say welcome. 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 Say invite. Invite. And call for the stripping of our own pride, arrogance, and faithfulness. We are asking for it. See, what our good shepherd is leading us to is that we are a people who have turned to transparency because we know we are building through unity in light of the coming fire. Let's go to Psalm chapter 32 in closing. We will pick up in verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Doesn't that sound like a great shepherd? Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled 
by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad you're righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. Saints, you're aware at this point that we're not just speaking about benefiting your relationships in the room. We're speaking about building as generations of men who know that our future work, our future generations, will be judged by fire. Much of the Christian world has tried to lull themselves to sleep by thinking that now that they're in Christ, they will not have to face the judgment seat. But the reality is that we're all facing that fire. But our shepherd is able to show us how to build now, Leslie, so that it stands in that day. He's showing Steve Thomas how to found a household with other households in connection Amen. in a way that will stand on that day. We can see it in the Zacharies behind them. All across this room, we have families that more in the last two weeks have learned how to be honest, transparent than ever before. But we're not stopping there. We're going on to build the house of God. Amen. We're going to build it as the shepherd directs it, carefully as we go, with costly, precious metals. And we will have something to present to our king along with the other cities of refuge. We're going to commence building roads. We're going to take up tasks that are hard, but that matter in an eternity, and we will do it as one man. We're going from bit and bridle to the rejoicing in righteousness. We will no longer be led as animals, but we'll be led as sons and sheep who know their shepherd's voice. Our desire this morning with you was to share honestly with you what is going on in our lives and ask God to give us prophetic insight for you. As we pray, we don't want to call you down to the altar. We want to call you up to the work. Our desire is that everyone would walk out of here clean and righteous before God. That sin is repented of. But that our aim is not to stagnate at these steps, but to lift up holy hands as one man, as one voice, and begin to labor to do what generations in the past have not been able to do, but ensure that it is there for our generations. So as we pray, stand with your brothers and lift your hands. Mighty one, we thank you for this household of believers. We say we are thankful for the house of God and we are thankful for your holiness, mighty one. Lord, we're asking that you might strengthen our hands, Lord, that we might build according to your pattern. Lord, we hear your voice even in worship today. We say we turn our minds to you. Lord, with you at the head of your flock, we will follow where you go, holy one. Lead us as your people, mighty one of Israel.